We're going through a series now on the Psalms as community prayer or public prayer, and we're looking today at some of the uh, more difficult Psalms, the cursing Psalms. Why are the cursing Psalms in the Bible? How do we use them? What's their use? So we're going to look at one uh, from Psalm 58 this morning, and then some words of Jesus as as he talks about some of the things that the psalmist talks about. So this is Psalm 58. To the leader, do not destroy, of David, a miktam, a particular type of psalm. Psalm 58. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods, or you leaders or chieftains? Do you judge people fairly? No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked go astray from the womb. They err from their birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ears, so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away, like grass, let them be trodden down and wither. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the untimely birth that never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when they see the vengeance done. They will bathe their feet in the blood of the wicked. People will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Psalm 58. Now Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. These are the words of our Lord Jesus. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only, the, only your brothers and your sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the Holy Scripture. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and conversations in all of our hearts together be pleasing to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. Scotty, can you do me a favor? Would you please go back to that one verse that says, break out their teeth, O Lord. Now, the reason I'm asking Scotty to do that is that um, as scholars look at this psalm, it's a very difficult psalm. I don't know if you know about Hebrew, but Hebrew is a language that has no vowels. What's that? It's no, written with no vowels. Thank you. It's written with no vowels. And so when it's written with no vowels, it's sometimes notoriously difficult to translate. Think about just having a paragraph writing it with no vowels. And words that have two or three just, um, you know, consonants, it can be a, a number of different words. Psalm 58 is notoriously difficult to translate because of that. But the clearest part of Psalm 58 is right here. This is not difficult. This is David, King David, dealing with someone that he had a beef with. And this is his prayer. Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths, tear out the fangs of the young lions. Okay, for you kids here and adults, 
He's not saying, then go to the zoo, Lord, and go to the lions and tear out the fangs of the lions. Lions are the names that David is giving whoever his enemies are. And he's saying, I don't care how big or how small these guys are, Lord. Break their teeth. And if they're as big and strong as lions, then rip out their fangs. And you can imagine David just looking at this like, yeah. Yeah, he's asking God to do lots of mayhem. And then it became a psalm. And it's in the prayer book of the Bible. Why would God allow us to have these kind of psalms? Why would God allow us to express our anger this way? Maybe it's because, well, maybe this should be a public topic within the church. Maybe we should talk about our anger in the church. You know, when, when we um, went to Santa Fe many years ago, I determined, it may sound funny, I said, we, we really can't have a PG church because the Bible's not PG. It's got to be PG-13 or above because the Bible deals with all kinds of weird subjects. And if we're going to be honest, we have to be able to talk about, what if we actually said every subject that's in the Bible, we're going to talk about in church? You know who would say no? Most pastors. Like, oh, we're not going to talk about that, but it's in the Bible. I know we're not going to talk about it, but it's in the Bible. Well, we don't talk about it. And because we don't talk about it, we think as Christians there are certain subject matters that well, we just have to bear alone or with shame and we can't talk about them. One of those things is anger. Uh, I'm going to tell you something that happened to me um, that I wish I would have had someone help me in actually using a psalm. When I was 26 years old, my wife and I were going to seminary in Escondido, California. We lived at 318 East Washington Street, which is the seminary housing. It was not pretty. I can tell you that. It was not very pretty at all. It was horrible. So we were at this apartment, we had an upstairs apartment, went up the stairs to the apartment, across the parking lot from the apartment was a six-foot fence. On the other side of the six-foot fence was a big open field with these weird trees that once a year bloomed these things that we called horse apples. I don't know what they were, but they're these large, hard as baseball like apples, but they had spikes on them. They had spikes on them. One day, I'm walking with my wife and my son Joseph up our upstairs apartment. Joseph was three at the time. And this horse apple, and they're this big, came flying into our, our doorway, bounced around, and almost hit our son. I looked around and thought, did this get, you know, launched out of heaven? And I looked across the field. There were three teenagers, or guys in their 20s, two with baseball bats that were hitting the horse apples towards the apartments. Now, these things are so hard that when they hit it with a baseball bat, they didn't break. And when this one almost hit Joseph, I took off. I took off down the stairs. I hopped a six-foot fence. I don't even remember hopping it. And I ran to these three guys, screaming at the top of my lungs, because they almost hit my kid. And they were so taken back by what I was doing, they said, hey, dude, we're, we're, just, we're just messing around. And, but I was yelling at them. And then when I realized they weren't going to throw any more, I came back over the fence and my wife was there crying. And she said, what are you doing? I said, well, they almost hit Joseph. She said, did you notice they had baseball bats? And they're as big as you? Not really. She said, what did you tell them? I said something like, I will kill you. I will kill you. I will kill you. 
That was so stupid what I did. They could have killed me. Uh, you know, what if they thought, this stupid young dad thinks he can take us on? What if, what if, what if they were looking for... But thank God they weren't. I had, my anger was out of control. Now, I didn't tell my friends about this at seminary. I didn't tell my professors about it. I told my best friends. They said, well, that was pretty stupid. But what if I had a professor or a mentor that could have come to me and said, hey, Mark, maybe instead of going across the field threatening three men with a baseball bat, that's really stupid. Maybe you should take Psalm 58 and go into the chapel and just read it out loud, especially right here. And when you get to this point, think of the faces of those three boys and just say, oh, Lord, break out the teeth of those three young men. Oh, Lord, tear out the fangs of these young lions. I'm going to go back to that again. Let them vanish like water. Oh, Lord, let them be like snails that turn into slime, like slugs on a hot road. Oh, yeah, let them just melt down. Oh, Lord, break their teeth in their mouths. And the more if I would have prayed this, the more I realized, I don't really think I want that, but at least I knew this. I can take my anger directly to God. And why is that psalm there? Maybe, just maybe, God says, no subject should be apart from a relationship with me, even your direct anger. And if you're asking me to act, tell me what's on your heart. I may not do it, but tell me what's on your heart. I want to know directly. Ah, do you now begin to see some of the wisdom of why these psalms are there? What if we can actually bring our anger to God? See, there are certain things we say, we can't say that in church. There's even a podcast by a pastor called, Can I Say That in Church? And they deal with anger on that podcast because there's certain things we can't say, even though it's in the Bible. I'm thinking one of the reasons that God wants us to look at these psalms of cursing is so that we can deal publicly with all of our emotions, even the emotion of anger. And here's the other thing. Sometimes we're angry at people right here, right in this room. Ellen Davis is a professor at Duke Divinity. She's a great Old Testament theologian and a really good speaker too. Great, great preacher actually. And she talked about one time that she was at a theological college where these missionaries were going to be sent out. And right before these missionaries were going to be sent out, they had uh, the Lord's Supper service. And at the Lord's Supper service, this is what they repeated several times. And anyone that's been with missionaries will laugh at this. Because missionaries on the field when they have their greatest disappointments, you know what it's from? Other missionaries on the field. The greatest conflict of missionaries are other missionaries who don't get along with the missionaries because they make life difficult for them. And they come home broken. So, before the Eucharist, this is what they prayed. We are here, Lord, at your table. We are not alone. We are here with our enemies. We are here, Lord, at your table. We are not alone. We are here with our enemies. She said they repeated this ten times. And then they took communion. Can you imagine that? 
how healing that must have been. Because some of these missionaries are thinking like, I know I'm going to have a conflict with that guy, but I've got to work it out. But they brought their anger right to the table of the Lord. Isn't that something? So I, I can't tell you why I, I think all these psalms are there. But I can think that if we begin to use them and utilize them, we all go on our own journey. And I can tell you what journey I go on that may be similar to yours. Because if, if I don't bring my anger to God, I'm going to bring it to, to, to my dog Mabel or to my daughter Molly or to my wife Marianne or my son Joseph or Nika or Will or Carter or Robin or any one of you guys because I'm not being honest with God and it's going to leak out in a way that's not good. It's not good. So I think God is saying, you know what? Cast all your cares upon me, even your anger, even your anger when you think that your enemies are my enemies and you want me to enact on it, bring that to me. By the way, this is what we have to also recognize. And this, this is maybe new for some of you. Not every expression in the Bible is expressing God's exact divine will. This is expressing David's hope that God will do for him. But it doesn't mean that God wants to break the teeth out of all the David's guys. You guys got to remember that in the sacred scriptures, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, not just in the writing of it, but really in the hearing of it. In the hearing of it is, we feel this way. And we also know David was so violent that, you know, would you take parenting advice from David? I don't think so. Would you take marriage advice? Please say no. The guy was a mess. A total mess. We just have to... But he was God's friend as a total mess. He was difficult. I don't think we'd be friends with him. I think we'd say, that guy's way too much. He's got a lot of issues. He's violent. He doesn't treat ladies well. He goes after his own kids. I mean, threatens his own children with death. What kind of dad is that? So... Are we really surprised that someone would pray this? Oh, God, break their teeth in their mouths? When the last breath he had, you can find this in the, in the scriptures, is that he was conspiring, even on his deathbed, vengeance on one of his sons. It's amazing to me. Like on his, Lord, I can't wait to see you. Oh, hold on. Take care of him. Oh, please, take him out in Jesus' name. Well, the, guy, the guy had issues. But... He was loved by God. You know what this teaches us? God sticks with difficult people, like David. He's difficult, but God doesn't give up on people. And God even says, you may feel that way, let me have it directly. So why, what, how would this psalm help me? Oh, if someone would have told me back in 1986, Mark, don't hop a fence, but go into the chapel and read Psalm 58, that would have been so good. Because as I would do this, this is the, this is the course that would go in my mind. And maybe this will happen to you too. As soon as you start taking these psalms of cursing and you pray them, I move from hating them, but then I start thinking about their faces. Like, I don't want to see someone really, I don't like seeing teeth broken. You know why? Because I've seen teeth broken. I don't like seeing it. I've seen mouths smashed. I don't like seeing it. I don't care who it is. People would say they like it. Anyone that says, oh, break out their teeth, they've never been there. Oh, it's... 
You don't want to, you don't want to see that. I've, and I don't want them to do that. And then what I realize, I'm really not mad at these guys. I am mad at the injustice of human mayhem. And looking back, these are, these are just kids. They're 20-year-old kids hitting a baseball, and I bet they were aiming at us, but no one actually thought that they would hit us. Just like some of you guys that sometimes play golf, you know, when you say, oh, go ahead and tee off, you're not going to hit that far. And you do, and you hit into the guys in front of you, and it buzzes by their, and they come back, and you, they want to take, like, I didn't think I would be that close. You don't mean to, but you do, and you almost cause damage. They didn't mean to do this. But what I was mad at, that, that, that all this human liberty and, and contingency of life could have hurt my kid. And then I'm looking back, why was I so mad? My, my sister, Les, who I love, who's a year younger than me, she got hit by a baseball at four years of old at a, at a semi-pro baseball game. And then three years later had surgery, and then she had a detached retina. That's part of my story. So why do you think I reacted that way? It's in my family. Someone got hurt by an accidental ball hit by a bat. It all played into it. That's why I went nuts. So what I'm really mad at is just the injustice in the world, and I was just not ready to make nice with it yet. And sometimes we're just not ready to make nice with it, and that's okay. That's okay. Chris Green is a theologian that Nike and I like listening to. He's a, he's a professor up at Southwest um, Oklahoma State, and he's, he's actually a, um, a really good preacher too. But he talked about how sometimes Christians, and particularly Reformed and Evangelical Christians, which is some of our backgrounds, have an idolatry of impatience. We're impatient in our theology. And what he means by that is that when there's a problem in life, we go right to the fact, well... Where is the Lord working in that? Where is the gift behind that wound? Oh, I'm really sorry about your mom, but she's with the Lord now. It's okay. Oh, I'm sorry about the cancer, but where's God meeting you in the victory? Like, uh, there's no victory yet. I'm not ready to make nice with it yet. This is still a problem. But aren't you, aren't you looking forward? No, I'm not looking forward to what happens next. I'm not ready to make nice. I'm not ready to make whatever is good. And so we have this idolatry of impatience. We, we don't really recognize that there is evil in the world and we're afraid to call it evil. We always want to say, is the Lord, he's going to work out something good, right? Maybe, maybe not. But there's a problem. There's a real problem here. So these Psalms teach us it's okay when you're not ready to make nice yet. Because there is evil in the world, and they oppose God, and we need to say that. We need to say that. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 10, and in one of our books that we have for the children called um, Jesus Showed Us the Way, which is a great book for parents. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. But the thief, and that's the enemy of God, the thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy and so anything in our life where something or someone that we love is killed, anytime something is stolen from us, anytime something is destroyed, Jesus tells us that's not him. That's the thief. He doesn't make nice with the thief. He destroys the thief. So we don't have to make nice with the thief either. But too often we say, well, death is coming and 
I guess this is God's Amazon gift to me that I have cancer brought by a thief. No, God doesn't sublease Amazon thieves to bring you death. That's not what God does. But I thought God's in control. God is in control. But there is real, there's real evil in the world and there's a challenge there putting it together. But we try to find God's hand behind that and when we find God's hand behind that, it's hard for us to trust God. And it should be because God's hand is not behind it. God's hand is in front of it dealing with it directly. So these psalms, that's why, so when I pray these psalms, I go right from, Lord, I want to break out their teeth to I don't want to break out their teeth, but I see this is real evil. Now, these guys didn't mean to throw that baseball, but it could, have, it could have harmed my kid for life. It could have resulted in a life-threatening problem or a, a life-altering situation. And it's just made me mad that little things like that can just turn on a dime. And then, Lord, there's real evil. And then I realize, I think I'm upset with you. Lord, why don't you do something about this? And that's where it goes. Lord, why don't you do something about this? Why don't you fix it? You hate this stuff. I hate this because you, why did you allow this? Or why did you not stop it? And then I realized my anger is really at the silence of God. Oh, well, what do I do then? I ask myself, Lord, where do, you, where do you go with this stuff? What do you do? And then I think, where did God deal with anger and death and destruction? Where did God definitively come in? In Jesus. And how did he do it? On the cross. And I realize, I think I'm a little ashamed of the cross. And here's why. And I say that as a, as a Christian for most of my life. God's way of handling the things that are so evil is so humiliating to me. It seems so weak. In fact, as Christians, we're so ashamed of it. When we, show, when we have um, crosses with a corpus, crosses with, with the body of Jesus, he's always wearing a loincloth. He was naked. God saved the world through his naked son dying for us on a tree. It's so humiliating. It's so humiliating. Why couldn't God come in and just like, like whack-a-mole just done that to all the evil people? Because that's not what God does. He gives and he gives and he gives and he gives and he, even to the point of humiliating himself. And I'm thinking, okay, all right. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for reminding me that I think what I'm ashamed of is your humiliating love for us. And the only violence that ever did anything was not your violence, but our violence against you. And when your son went into the ground, he destroyed sin and death and the devil forever. You used our violence as a gift. You're, you're so beautiful and strange and you, your weakness is so strong. I'm afraid of, I, I think I'm ashamed of your weakness. I wish you would be more like me. And God says, no, I'm not like you, Mark. I'm like me. And you see how that cycle goes? If we start using these things... And then I realized, well, then I'm, I'm going to just love them as best I can. So we know what Jesus says. Jesus says, love your enemies, don't hate them. And, but the psalmist says, break out their teeth. Is there a way that we can make these two things dance? I think we can. I think the Apostle Paul does the best he can. And I want to read to you what he says in Romans chapter 12. But I want to change a word here to, to make it a little bit more precise. It's the word vengeance. This is Romans chapter 12 when Paul gives advice. 
And when you think of the word vengeance, what do you all think of? Payback. Payback. Yeah, kill back. Yeah, kill bill, payback. Um, I, th I think of uh, Indigo Montoyo from Princess Bride. My name is Indigo Montoyo. You kill my father, prepare to die. Okay, I, it's personal payback. So when we think, we, and especially in Texas, when we think of vengeance, we think of settling a family issue, and you know what? We're not going through the police on this one. No, we're doing this, we're doing this the good old-fashioned way, hand-to-hand, -hand, directly, right? Vengeance is direct. We don't use... So when we see the word vengeance, where, where the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I'll, I will requite, says the Lord, we think, well, God is not going to be using the law here. He's going to be going around the corner and like, bam, yes. It's not a very good translation. The word vengeance is actually the word out and the word justice or rightness. It's the word, it should be exacting justice. So I'm going to read to you the way it's translated in a lot of us, but, the, but it sounds so different. So uh, this is Romans chapter 12. Bless those, Paul says, who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is good in the sight of all. And if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Beloved, never avenge yourselves or never exact justice for yourselves, but leave room for the anger of God. For it is written, exacting justice is mine, I will requite, says the Lord. But our translation says, vengeance is mine. It's exacting justice. God exacts justice. It's right. It's not private payback. And Paul is saying, we have to leave room for God to deal with people. For God to exact righteousness. But what our job is, is to pray the Psalms and then love everybody well. And when you pray the Psalms, if you actually think about the faces of people that are doing these things, you don't want to do it anymore. If you have an enemy, and think about someone that you really don't like, we, it makes it easier for us to stay enemies with them if we dehumanize them. We don't call them a person anymore. We call them that dragfoot zombie that lives behind my house. That neighbor, he's a dragfoot zombie. Man, any animal that goes into that yard, he kicks it. He's a dragfoot zombie and I want him out. He's not a dragfoot zombie, that's just what we call him. It's, it's just a guy that, you know, he, he, we, but we dehumanize them and then we can stay opposite them. But if we think about their grandchildren or their best friend from grade school, it humanizes them and then we can't get mad at them anymore because they have people that love them. You know what I'd love to see? It, it would never happen. But all the members of Congress and the Senate to get into a room with pictures of their children and grandchildren and they could talk about nothing but their kids or their best friend from fifth grade. They're not going to do it. You know why? It humanizes the person across the aisle and they can't be as mad at them anymore. 
when we see their faces, it, it, it does something to us. And when you think about these psalms and you have these faces of these people in your mind, they become more human, and then we do what Paul says. We don't repay evil for evil. We do what Jesus says. We love our enemies. How do we love them? We, we take the sword of the Spirit. Now, I'll, I'll close with this, that there's a great little book called The Shadow of Christ and the Law of Moses, written by Vern Poitras. I highly recommend it. Byrne teaches at Westminster Seminary. He goes through the law, the, um, particularly in the book of um, Exodus and, and Deuteronomy, and talks about all the furniture there in the ark and in the, um, in the tabernacle and how it foreshadows Jesus. It's a beautiful book. But at the end of the book, he has an appendix on a subject called theonomy. Have you guys ever heard of theonomy before? Theonomy was a big deal like 20 years ago. Theonomy is this. There were some Christians that thought any law in the New Testament that was not specifically taken away by Jesus or by St. Paul still applies today. So one of the laws that was not taken away was, at least directly, that um, disobedient children can be stoned to death. Jesus fulfills all laws. He is the end of the law. And so the argument is like, no, no, he doesn't have, but some say, well, no, maybe states should put in a law there if kids are really disobedient. Yep, it's okay to put them down. Like, well, the sword of the Lord. And what Vern did in that, that little appendix was so good, he goes, you know what? Here's why that doesn't work as Christians. That sword doesn't go far enough, even though it kills them. It doesn't go far enough. What sword goes even farther than that? The sword of the Holy Spirit. Because you know what that sword does? It goes into you and kills you and makes you alive in Jesus. It goes beyond death. That's our sword now. That's why Paul says, pray for those who persecute you. Because the Old Testament sword didn't go far enough. It just killed them. This sword kills them and raises them a new life in Jesus. And I thought, bingo. That's it. That's it. That's what we do. That is our warfare, which is loving people where? Well, because love and forgiveness raises the dead. Literally. Raises the dead. Now, there are times, though, we don't want to use that sword yet. We're not ready to make nice. And for those times, we have Psalm 58, or if you want even a longer one, just hang out on Psalm 109. Oh, man, that's even more juicy than this. It's even better than break out their teeth. It is so descriptive. It's like, oh, wow, I thought snails into slime and break out. Psalm 109 is a blast. It's a blast of just pure rage. And sometimes we need to rage on. But as we rage on, we realize we're not really mad at them. We're mad at evil. And we want God to deal with evil, and he did on the cross, but he did in such a way that's so different than us, and we need to trust in him. And then we'll take the sword of the Spirit, and we learn to love difficult people, and hoping, not necessarily trusting in them, but hoping that they'll change and grow up or maybe come to new life in Jesus. But these cursing psalms are there for us. Because sometimes we're not ready to make nice. And God says, that's okay. If you're not ready to make nice, that's okay. By the way, if your friend or you are in that, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay if you're not ready to make nice. God says, I want to hear you directly. And I, I'll even give you words for your mouth. 
because I'm with you and I'm for you because we've got to work through this stuff. But as you do, you can't stay there and you won't stay there. But it's also not going to help if you just suppress it, which is what we do, and it makes it worse because it comes out in all the wrong ways. It all comes out in all the wrong ways against our kids, our best friends. God says through Peter, cast all your cares upon me, even your anger cares. Cast all your cares upon me, for I care for you. Let's give our, let's give our God all of our anger and remind ourselves that we are here at the Lord's table. We are not alone. We are here with our enemies. And we have to deal with it. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us freedom to voice even our anger directly to you. And Lord, as we do that, please give us freedom to be in a position where we're not ready to make nice and also give us the maturity to move through that to loving you and loving others well. For Jesus' sake, we pray in his name. Amen.